This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And we're back, folks. Another edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider. Glad to be back and glad to see Michigan back finding the bottom of the of the basket, right? Getting the ball through the net from distance. That had been something that had eluded this team for a little bit of time here recently, but started hitting their shots versus San Diego State and then against Nebraska. Joining me to talk about the Wolverines over the last week or two, man that wore the uniform, played at a very high level, first-round draft pick, one of the all-time great big men at the University of Michigan before being a first-round draft pick in the NBA, and now one of the best basketball commentators in the land, my friend Tim McCormick. Tim, how are you? It's great to be a Michigan Wolverine. <laughs> I agree. I tell you what, I um, I, I can't wait to talk hoops with you. Um, and, and definitely, first off, Merry Christmas to you and your family. Same to our listeners and followers. Um, Sam, thanks for all you do. You, you're the voice of Michigan sports. Love you. We appreciate you and a hearty go blue. Um, but before we dive into the hoops, man, you don't have to do any Christmas shopping for me this year. You can skip it. You, you can buy extra gifts for the kids. Trust me. I'm good this year. The last two weeks have been just an everlasting smile on my face. I have I have never been so excited about Michigan football. You know I'm passionate about it. I sat in the big house for 60 minutes of football on November 27th. I will never forget it against Ohio State. I am still so happy. And and Sam, when the clock hit zero, I had tears in my eyes. I, I mean, it caught me so off guard. And I, I sat there and I thought, should I run in the field? But I just sat there and, and it made me smile so much to see that there were that many passionate people that loved Michigan football like I do. And, and during the game, several times, what I did is I turned my back to the field and I looked up at the people behind me and, and I saw everybody screaming at the top of their lungs to make it hard for CJ Stroud to hear, man, I, I was so proud of that. And, 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 you know, 110,000 people had a massive impact. And I am, I remember always hearing that Michigan had the wine and cheese crowd, you know, they, they didn't make noise. And I was so excited when I heard Matt Leiner say it was the best environment that he's ever seen. Uh, Sam, I'm excited. I, I I cannot wait for the Orange Bowl. Yeah, man, it was uh, it was special. I've seen a lot of games in that stadium. I made this remark before. There's not, nothing, a lot of big games, great atmospheres. Yeah, the the Washington game this year was a great atmosphere, but this had everything. I mean, you had two top five teams. It's Michigan, Ohio State. It's the drama that comes with being bullied by that team. Michigan mm-hmm. was, you know, three and seventeen against them in the two thousands, right? They they had lost eight straight. Everyone had, even Michigan fans went into this game said they can't beat that team because you remember the week before they had destroyed Michigan State, you know, three hundred ninety to to seven or something like that. And so <laughs> there you had a lot of Michigan fans 
sort of feeling like it couldn't be done. So to see them come out and beat Ohio State down, make them quit. They made them quit, Tim. They made Ohio State tap out. The emotion. It was incredible. That, it was incredible. Wow. And the snow coming down. I mean, it had everything. And it's to me, it was commendable that the players were able to put that emotion aside because I was like you. I sat there soaking it in and just the emotion that you felt for those guys, for that program, for all the fans and alums that put everything into it as well. It just felt good, man. It felt good. And, and to put it in perspective, I, I went to East Lansing. I, I sat in the crowd by myself at Michigan State, and I was crushed when they scored that last touchdown and we lost. I wanted to dig a hole and crawl in. And if somebody would have come up to me and tapped me on the shoulder and said, Tim, don't worry, we're going to win out. We're going to play for a national championship. All good. I would have said zero chance, no way. And and I want to give a ton of credit to Jim Harbaugh because um, he did the hard things. He changed. And and when I um, I was in Indy for the game, an absolute thrill, Michigan fans, knew what was coming because all week long we listened to Joe Simon and Devin Gardner and Al Borges and you break it down. And by the time I got there, listening to the podcast on the way down, I, I knew we were going to win just based on what you guys said. So, so, so Sam, if, if you want to talk about Hassan Haskins and Hutchinson and our blocking <laughs> schemes, especially we can keep going, but, but if we want to talk about some hoops, we can do that too. I, w- I want to hey, look. We could talk football all day, uh, but we got to get some hoops in because you know this this team. You know, adversity adversity is a part of of every season and some on some level. But this young team is facing a lot of adversity early. Right, they come in lofty expectations. You know, number top five ranking, and now out of the rankings after you know, after a few weeks of the season and, and having to regroup and find some things. So I, I'm, I'm curious, Tim, if at this early stage, if you can compare really quickly you know, what you thought this team would be heading into the year versus what they are. And whether and do you think, you know, with where they are, they could ever get to what you thought they were going to be? Wow. Tough question. Um, so – Prior to the season, I said that Michigan would be the Big Ten champs again. And I don't believe that right now. From what I've seen, they're still too young. And and they they miss Franz and Livers and Shondi Brown and Mike Smith. And that may be too much. I think Purdue, uh, I, I, I thought they would have trouble with, with Williams and Zach Eady. Um, I thought that, that there would be chemistry issues because – You've got you've got an all Big Ten player in Travion Williams that's now coming off the bench and he'll probably be sixth man of the year in the conference. So I, I expected them to have problems and I thought that the loss of Io DeSumnu from Illinois would be too much. But in terms of Michigan, there is tremendous uncertainty, but they do have vast potential, but they do have a long way to go. And if you watched Arizona and North Carolina, that should give you a preview of a lot of Big Ten games. Mm. And, and, and believe me, um, Michigan does not look like a Big Ten champ or a Final Four contender. Um, but I will say this. There's an opportunity to be really optimistic and excited about this team. Because when I look at the schedule, on January 8th, Michigan plays Michigan State at home. And that might be the biggest game of the season. And at that point, Michigan's going to be 11-3. and three. 
and top 15 in the country and 2-0 in the Big Ten, and all of their goals are still in reach. And they've got guys that are going to be pros, um, and, and they, they need to work on their chemistry and, and definitely make shots. But all of a sudden now, after watching the Nebraska game, I'm filled with optimism that, that this team does have shooters and they can make progress. Yeah, so the San Diego State and Nebraska games were like elixir, man. I mean, you you needed them to see the ball uh, go in, in in the net. I you know you heard some fans say, well, let's see them do it against the better team. San Diego State is a is a decent team, very well coached as we know, uh, and so they're a team that could make some some noise. Uh, but even if you think they're bad, is, is is my point. Even if you think they're bad, Michigan needed for Caleb Houston to find his rhythm, to find his mark. In the last two games, Tim, he's been able to do that. I know a lot of attention also on the the threes that Hunter Dickinson has made over the last couple of games. But I, I want to start out with the guy that they counted on as a shooter coming into the season, even as a rookie, even as a freshman, and he had been struggling. So it seemed really, really huge to me that he's had these two games where he shot really well from the three-point line. Yeah, Caleb Houston is a beautiful shooter, and and I was a bit perplexed because the the three practices that I saw before the season started, he shot with such ease and confidence, and and he was struggling so much. Um, I I, I kind of liken it to when Cade Cunningham from the Pistons started out his NBA career, and he was just launching shots, and his launch angle was different. Um, I I didn't think that his base which is the foundation of being a good shooter, was off. Um, and, and if I could have pulled Caleb to the side, I would have said, look, search for some shots where your toes are on the line and you're on balance and you're not rushed at all. And, and, and it was really difficult to watch him shoot because, Sam, it's kind of like, have you ever played darts before? Mm-hmm. So imagine trying to throw a dart where you've got to run into it and then just stop real quick and throw it. You're, you're not going to be very accurate. A three-point shot is somewhat similar. And when, when you throw a dart, you want to have a nice base, and, and you, you know, you're staring at your target, and you take a breath, and then you throw it. If you can take a three-point shot that way, you're going to make it. And, and as you make them, then all of a sudden, you can shoot a little bit more off the dribble. You can shoot a little quicker. And, and so that's the culmination of what we've seen with Caleb Houston. He's now figured things out enough that he doesn't have to be perfectly set to be able to knock down shots. Yeah, it's it's just great to see he has a reputation as a great shooter. I think I think there's some Michigan fans that were thinking that we oversold him as a shooter. We didn't. Yeah. It just it just took some time for him to really find his rhythm. And if once he does, man, that makes life easier for Hunter Dickinson who, you know, these last couple of games, Tim, I mean, I know we, we had one of the questions about Hunter was range. Would he be able to, you know, hit 18-footers at least? Well, the last couple of games, he's hit threes. So what about Hunter these last two games? How much of that do you think is sustainable? I, I wouldn't think that, that Hunter Dickinson is going to be able to knock down four out of six from three his last two games. But his shot is looking repeatable, and you can see his work. And I was um, talking to Luca Garza um, last night, and he was telling me that Hunter's always been a really good shooter, 
but sometimes, and, and I could deal with this, when when you're a, a big guy, they tell you to get under the basket. You don't get a chance to, to work on it and get those reps and gain confidence. Um, I, I just I think that three-point shooting is a byproduct of intense practice. And and you can see when a shooter is is feeling good and when he's paid his dues by their body language. Uh, the hard practices that Michigan has faced uh, where where they're making harder cuts, they're getting a little bit more open. You get what you deserve when you shoot the ball. And if you look at the numbers the last two games, not only for Hunter, uh, Michigan against Nebraska and San Diego State, 26 for 52. Okay, that's 50%. Mm-hmm. The previous five games, 21 for 82. That's only 25%. So it was just a massive improvement. And then Johns and Williams and Houston, the, the support guys that they're going to need, nine for 13 from three. Yeah. And so I, it, it's a great segue for me, Tim, because I, I see those numbers. It's great that those guys are are seeing the ball go in. It's going to give them confidence. Uh, maybe they'll look for the shot more, be confident when they shoot it and make a few, but they aren't going to make it at that clip, right? They aren't going to make it no, at that clip. No. So, so when, you know, when there's a reversion to the mean, so to speak, and the threes aren't falling, we don't, I hope and, and expect that it won't go back down to 25%. But there are going to be times where the floor is compressed, where teams are like, they can't hit threes. Let's sink down in the paint. You as a big fella, is there a way that you can still get the ball to Hunter Dickinson. I ask that question because he's the best player on the team. It's not like a guard who said, hey, you know what? Everyone else is struggling. I got to go get mine. Well, Hunter's a big guy. He needs someone to give it to him. If teams are are, are cheating, they're cheating off the three-point line, clogging up the lane and, and the paint, what are some alternative ways in which you can still get it down, you can still force-feed it to Hunter, get the ball to him and run the offense through him? Are there ways in which you can do that? There's a lot, and I um I saw some subtle changes. So congratulations to 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 Juwan Howard for using his staff. I'm sure that it's not an easy conversation for an assistant coach to have, but they were running so much pro set five out offense with Hunter Dickinson setting screens at at 28 feet, and and the last two games I thought they did a much better job of keeping him near the basket. And, and, and running cross screens. As an example, let's say the ball is on the left wing and you start Hunter on the left box. Let him go away and set a screen and then pop back to the ball. Um, let him use diagonal screens and get him to the low post. Maybe the most important thing is that Michigan has got to do a better job of demanding that their passers hit the target when it's ready. Um, Sam, today's young players are horrible at post entry. Mm-hmm. Why? Because no big men <laughs> play in the post anymore. Right. Like think think of an AEU game. Everybody's running up and down and dunking it. Big guys are shooting threes. Uh, you know who is really really good at passing the ball into the post? My high school team. <laughs> like like from the time we were in seventh grade, every year they learned how fake high and pass low to get me the ball. Then they would fake low and pass high to get me the ball. And they knew that when I put my target hand along the baseline, they knew exactly that's where I wanted it. And they hit the target. They got really, really 
good at it. Today's young players are so poor on the fundamentals. And here, here's an example. I like DJ. Devontae Jones is going to have a good year. I have not lost confidence. He has no clue how to hit Hunter Dickinson in the low post because he has never played with a big man that's probably above 6'7". And, and he's probably never played with a big man that posts up at all. And so over the course of time, he's got to make that an area that he prioritizes. None of Michigan's perimeter guys, except maybe Terrence Williams, who's already played with Hunter Dickinson in the past, is very good at post entry. Eli Brooks is good, too, because he's just so darn smart and talented. But Michigan must have the, their perimeter guys focus on getting the ball inside because Hunter is open a lot more than what people think. Yeah, this is great stuff, Tim. We're getting the education. You know who else is good at post-entry? All they need to do, walk across the hall or, or wait after practice and wait for the Michigan women's basketball team to go, go in there. <laughs> and they are outstanding at feeding Nas Hillman. Go watch a Michigan women's basketball game and watch yes, them post-entry. Yes. Guards, uh, they're bigs. They got nice high-low action uh, as well. They feed the post extremely well. So, uh, you know, that that is one of the things that Phil Martelli – recently mentioned, hey, man, one of the ways in which we could do it is, is some more high-low action. Use your bigs uh, in a mm. way that allows you to get the ball down low. How about that, Tim? Like Kansas. Kansas has always been really good at that. They did that with Danny Manning, and he wasn't even a post guy. Um, I, I think that high-low is a good idea. And But 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 one thing that, that may be a huge advantage, we know that Hunter's going to have to play against Zach Eady and Trevion Williams. He's going to have to go up against Liddell. He's going to have to go against Trace Jackson Davis and definitely Kofi Coburn. The common denominator in Michigan's three losses this year was a big shot-blocking presence. Remember Ike Obiagu from Seton Hall, mm-hmm. 7-2, he had four blocks. Christian Colico from Arizona, 7-1, four blocks. Armando Bacot, 6-10, he had two or three blocks. So to get ready for those Big Ten games and the massive size that they have, this is really good that Michigan had to go through this, and then they've had multiple practice um, opportunities because we talked about this earlier. When you watch practice, Juwan Howard is playing head-to-head against his big men. He's banging with them. He's sweating with them. So Hunter is getting the best post training in the world, and the last game it's shown, and and his adjustment, when he catches the ball, two quick dribbles and shoot. Just get rid of it. You, you know the defense is coming. So turn, take a look, take your two quick dribbles, a little bit towards the middle, and then come back to that left-hand jump hook on the baseline. I think that there's going to be a big improvement in Michigan's post game. All right, so Tim, let's talk about you know the, the other front court spot. Uh, your power forward position. They had to be without Musa Diabate for the better part of the last two games. Didn't make the trip uh, to Nebraska and only played seven minutes versus San Diego State. Uh, you know, wrist injury, he goes in, he gets ill, and he can't come back. And there has to be more Brandon Johns and more Terrence Williams. And those guys over the last two games in Nebraska, of course, being the biggest example where they had, where Terrence had 22 off the bench and Brandon Johns had 20. Again, I'm not, like I said earlier, not expecting those guys to give them that routinely, but you hope that that gives them some confidence to make them more aggressive 
in, in looking for their offense, what do you make of them over the last couple of games? <laughs> Sam, you're going to remember this. Remember I made the prediction that by the end of the year, seven Michigan Wolverines will score 18 points I or did. more in a game. I did. Uh, that game helped that prediction a lot. Um, so I was anxious to see how Terrence and Brandon responded without Musa. And, and this is maybe a little bit of a different take. I think that Musa is probably hard for Brandon and Terrence to play with because he's a big personality. He's a future NBA player, big time talent. And, and for guys that can be a little bit intimidating. So without Musa in the lineup, Brandon took over and dominated immediately. Terrence Williams was aggressive and good from the start. And, and this number is shocking to me versus Nebraska, who I, I thank God that I don't live in Nebraska. I would have to move away from that state. If I had to watch that team over and over again, <laughs> my gosh, they're horrible. Um, but, but Terrence and Brandon combined for 42 points and 10 boards. Let me say it again. They combined for 42. The previous five games combined, they only scored a total of 41. So that, that tells me in those five games, those two combined for eight points per game against Nebraska, that number jumps to 42. They have to learn, Sam, to be productive when Moose is in the game. Musa creates chaos and opportunity. He helps on defense. He gets second shots. Michigan has four really good players at the four and the five. This team needs to find a way for all of them to be able to contribute. And I would tell Brandon Johns this, keep shooting. Keep shoot. Don't worry about your first one or your set. Just keep shooting because I do believe he can knock down shots. Right, and, and be aggressive. I like that he went to the free throw line a good number of times in that game as well as knocking down some three-point. He's a skilled offensive player who maybe it's something to what you're – I don't know. There is, I think, something to what you're saying about – you know, you, you aren't playing well, and here's this young fella coming in, and he is playing well, and maybe that maybe that sinks your confidence even more because you, you start to question your role a little bit. I haven't talked to him to know that, but it's obvious that he was struggling with his confidence, so maybe this can give him a little bit of a boost and a, and a jolt. And if nothing else, Tim, you mentioned this, I want to say, two episodes ago. You are talking about his rebounding stats. I mean, if – more than it, more than shooting, even you gotta believe that Jawan Howard's like, man, look, if you aren't getting touches and shots and your shot isn't going in, go get it off the rim. Come on, big fella, give me some rebounds. <laughs> There's a role. There's a role for him, and the reason I said it can be intimidating to play with a guy like Musa. Uh, my senior year, all of a sudden, I, I had to deal with Roy Tarpley, and and I found out really quick Roy was better than me. He was so immensely talented and it kind of took my game plan and sent it in a different direction. I thought I'm going to be the man. This is my year. Everybody get out of the way. And then all of a sudden he's just grabbing every rebound and he was so good. And, and eventually, you know, we ended up winning the NIT, but I think an important part of that is that I learned to, to support him and he learned to support me. So it wasn't like he was getting his numbers or I was getting mine. We are just we are just working to win games, and it it really was it was a great growth process. Yeah. All right. Speaking of growth process, Tim Devonte Jones, he yeah, obviously it's been a struggle for him. I think that the transition you always knew there would be one, 
uh, that it wasn't going to be this seamless deal because it wasn't. I mean, we forget that it, it took a a little bit of a of a time for Sean D and and Mike Smith to hit their stride. They they did hit it early, but it wasn't immediately their their plan at the beginning of the season like they were at the end. Uh, but this is on a different level of struggle for for Devontae Jones, and I wonder what you think the culprit is. Is the is the game just faster? Uh, the, mm. the the competition just better? Is it that what you mentioned earlier? Not used to playing with the big, uh, because man, whether it's you know the fouls that he was having trouble with, or you know the the the, the rush shots, not being able to get him in the offense, everything has been a struggle for him so far. And I'm curious if you could pinpoint reasons for why. And before I go into it, Sam, do you, do you think it's safe to say that if Michigan is a Big Ten champ, that the key is to get DJ to play like he's capable of? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. Or, or look, either that or one of these young players, one of these young uh, guards really has to emerge as, as like a one of the top freshmen in the league in order to do that. Short of that, yeah, they won't be, they won't be able to reach those goals, to your point. Right. So so they need DJ as an efficient, reliable scorer, a guy that can stay out of foul trouble and run the team. And and I think he's capable of getting there. And Sam, he'll appreciate this. At the Pistons game earlier this week, I had a fan come up to me and say, man, you, you kind of broke my heart because I, I listen to you and Sam all the time. And you got me so excited about Devontae Jones and, and he's let me down. He's not very good. And it, it got me thinking, uh, what what did we see? Because I think everybody it's a Michigan fan went back and they, they watched the highlight video from coastal Carolina of Devonte Jones, right? You, I mean, you probably watched mm-hmm. it 10 times. So <laughs> I, um, I, I went to my computer this morning and I pulled up Devonte Jones, coastal Carolina highlight video, and I rewatched it. And, and I didn't recognize the guy that I'm seeing now, um, who is tentative and, and trying to fit in in the video. He was knocking down three-point shots. He was confident, aggressive driving, both left and right, strong finishing, physical, tough. I I, I noticed a couple of big differences. Coastal Carolina had no shot blockers in the lane for their opponent. The, The league just doesn't have shot blocking. And I promise you this, there was no big stud post guy like Hunter Dickinson commanding attention and clogging the lane. Um, The Big Ten caliber defenders are so much more athletic. They're better defenders. There's no pressure at Coastal Carolina with games on national TV. Nobody's watching. And and listen to these numbers. Devontae Jones, as a freshman, 13 points per game, 17 points per game as a sophomore, 19 as a junior at Michigan, six points per game. Okay. So I still think DJ is a really good player. He didn't learn or he didn't forget how to play over the course of one year. And, and, and I believe in him and he can be a hero. He's trying to fit in too much. And there's three things that, that I think are the key to his success. All right. You ready for it? Mm -hmm. Number one, defend without fouling that, that that's going to be so important. I thought his game last time out against Nebraska w- had some really good things. He he didn't score much, but he did knock down a three, which made me jump out of my chair and cheer. And he didn't and turn it over. Eight assists, 
zero turnovers yeah. and two fouls. Okay, so so there were some things to build on there. Um, the second thing I'd like to see is attack the lane off the dribble and seek that mid-range floater. Just let it fly. I would love to see him shoot that that shot, you know, six, seven times a game and keep shooting it. I don't care if you shoot air balls. I don't care if you shoot over the backboard. He's got to make that shot to be able to open up his attack. So I, I would like to see that. And then the third thing is just have fun. Like This is a game. It, it's exciting. It's a big stage. He'll remember this his whole life. And and you can't enjoy the game, um, you know, in, unless you got the right mindset. So, I, I think I think he's a good player. At the Pistons game, I spoke to an NBA scout that was at the G League tryouts, the G League Combine, and I asked him about Devontae Jones. He said, "I loved him. I, I thought he was tough and aggressive and smart, and and so he's got it in him." And Sam, I do think he is the key to Michigan's success in terms of winning a Big Ten. Yeah. Uh, they need him. Uh, they need – I'll put it this way. It'd be great if it's him. I just want it to be someone. I really think that I have not given up the these young guys uh, really stepping up their games and and making the most of these extra minutes. Frankie Collins is getting a lot more minutes. You know, that's one thing to also note from the last couple of games is, you know, as his minutes are down – even with him being available, and that's that's a function. I mean, some of these games, his minutes are down because he's in foul trouble. Wasn't in foul trouble, and yet the minutes were down. They play Frankie Collins a lot more. You know, can he grow and develop? The thing that you like about him is he can get downhill without a ball screen. He can he can create off the bounce, and it was good to see him sort of have that vision and awareness, not like on the level you needed to be to be a Big Ten champ, but you see some semblance of that. I'm not giving up on Kobe Bufkin. Uh, either uh, being an impact guy as a freshman, but it was always going to be the case with those young guys, Tim, and it was going to take them longer. You expect it to be middle of the season before they hit their stride. You were hoping that Devontae Jones hit his sooner. And so I'm with you right now. It's still, it's still Devontae Jones, but I'm, I'm at the point where like, I just need, I want it to be someone. Can it be one of those guys or a couple of those guys uh, by committee that can get him to that point? Now, let Tim, me ask you this. I want to hear you rank the three possible impact point guards. Who Who is most likely or who would you like to see? Is it Frankie Collins? Is it Bufkin? Or is it Zeb Jackson? Who do you think is most likely of those to three? grab? The, yeah, those three. Yeah, I, I still think it's Kobe. I still think it's mm-hmm. Kobe, even though Frankie Collins – is is give is getting the most minutes right now, uh, I, I, and talk to Phil about it in, in practice. They're they're looking for some more consistency from all of those guys. What I like most about Kobe is I think that his jump shot is more respectable. And that guy, you you need that guy to not only be a guy who can create off the bounce, but you need another guy on the floor that can stretch defenses. And that's one of the reasons why I still think. By the end of the day, we get later in the season. I, I think Kobe still has the best chance of being that guy. Followed by, I'm still going to go with Frankie Collins. It was great to see Zeb back, uh, and you saw. I mean, think about that the, the Nebraska game. His, his he hit the three off the bench, and I know a lot of people are talking about that. But I know in talking to Phil, they as a staff were, were like, "Hey." The, the pass he made to Hunter, his first play. That was beautiful. Yeah, that right, was, right. So it was uh, it was good to see that, but you want to 
how much of that can he do? Now, if he can string together some performances like that here in the next five, six games, then maybe the pendulum swings his way. But the reason why I'm going with the other guys is, you know, I, I he knows the, the team. He knows the scheme. You, I think we got to kind of got a feel for for what he is. And I don't think we have that same feel for those those other guys. I think the potential is greater for them right now to impact the team. Time will tell on that though, Tim. I, I just wanted to be one of them. I really I really don't care who <laughs> at this point. So, but no, man, I, I want to get your your take as Big Ten play is underway. But before we do that, let's talk to Braylon Edwards. We got to take this break. We'll come back on the other side, have this conversation with Braylon because I've known Braylon a long time, long time. My first big sit-down interview was with Braylon Edwards 20 years ago. Tim, getting so, old, Sam. Getting <laughs> so, old. So I'm getting old, man. Now we'll get to a break and we'll be back on the other side with Braylon Edwards. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we are back, folks, here on the Michigan Basketball Insider. A little bit of a, of a respite from the basketball, the purely basketball, I guess. And we get a, just a pure Michigan guy. He probably could have played on the hardwood if he wanted to. But he decided to go to Gridiron Way and start at the University of Michigan before being a first-round draft pick in the NFL and having a lengthy career. Now he has his broadcast, uh, his broadcast clothes on, the headset, and the whole nine talking about number one, Braylon Edwards. Braylon, thanks for joining us. Sam, Tim, how you guys doing, man? Glad to be here. Yeah, Braylon, thanks so much. Uh, really a Michigan legend. Man, I have I thanked you for beating Michigan State single-handedly because I've got a Spartan wife, and, I mean, you made my life so good. I, have I ever thanked you for that? Uh, actually, yeah, you did. At Killer Christmas over there in Matt Riley, man. We had a, had a great time, but – I was fun, you know. I put on the show, but man, it was a team effort. Now you look at Gary Rebus with the field goal, like in the clutch. You look at Brian Thompson with the with the uh, onside recovery. You look at Jason Vaughn with the best catch, uh, catch of the game in the second overtime, and <laughs> Mike Hart with 220 yards. I mean, the list goes on, guys. And Lamar Woodley, you know, what I'm saying obviously we know what he did, and it was legal, by the way. It was legal. It was legal. Yeah. So man, it was a hell of a hell of a team win. Although I always get all the credit for it. Man, now now I feel like I've got a lot of people I've got to go out and thank. But um, real quick, before, before we before we dive into the football, um, I do want to hear how your 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 show is going. You're uh, the co-host with Darren McCarty from the Wings, former Wing. The bottom line: how, how do you like being a member of the media? 
So, I mean, I love it. Yeah, I've been doing this now probably uh, since 2014. I've actually been doing hits with ESPN. I actually work for Big Ten Network, uh, Fox, uh, Fox Sports, Pac-12, and then the list goes on. DMAC does Big D Energy. They're on what we're sports network from 11 to 1. I do the bottom line, which is with uh, Armani, Ryan Armani from Fox. Mm-hmm. And Tom mm-hmm. Mazaway, we're on from uh, two to four. I love it. You know, you can, you know, you don't have to worry about a biasness or an agenda. You know, usually big networks always have an agenda, something you have to stay away from, something you lean more towards. We don't have that issue. We call it down the middle. It's fun. It's free. It's local. And we're prevent, we're providing something that there's not, there's not a, something like this out there. You know, we're viewable, simulcast, you know, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube. Instagram. I mean, you name it. You can view us there, watch us there, come to Spotify. We bring guests in the studio, like, much like you guys are doing today. So um, it's fun. I just love it. And I love talking sports. I mean, it's, just, it's the business what we chose, right? Yeah, I hear you. Be- before we jump into the basketball, I- I've been close with so many Michigan football players over the year, including my freshman year. Um, I-, I had a chance to hang out with your dad. He became a mentor and a role model to me, the great Stanley Edwards. Um, but what do you think turned things around for this Michigan team from last year? What, what's the biggest difference? Um, I think it's simple. Uh, I think <clears throat> Jim Harbaugh was used to doing things his way. You know, he had success doing things his way at Stanford. He had success doing his thing, doing things his way at San Diego. He had success doing things his way at Michigan. And he, had, I mean, at, uh, at with the, the 49ers, he had some success early on here in Michigan, but he had the success that he promised. He didn't have the success that he thought he was going to have. And most importantly, he didn't have the success that the fan base and the regions thought that he would have. But it is tough for an individual, especially over 55 years of age, you know, like to to reinvent themselves, like to get out of stubborn ways. And the biggest reason why Michigan is successful is because he said, McElwain isn't working. Pep Hamilton isn't working. Don Brown isn't working. These older coaches that can't connect to these younger players, they're not working. So he went away from these egos and personality and the stubbornness to younger guys like Clink, to these younger guys like Mike Hart, to Ron Bellamy. And he opened it up. He kept Sharon Moore. Like, I mean, Sharon Moore. Like, he kept him. And now they have the connectivity. They've opened up the doors. And the defensive players have talked about that all year is – they are accessible now. You can go talk to the coaches. You can give input. You can say how you feel. You can say you don't think this works. You can say this is works, et cetera. And when players feel like they're being heard, when players, they buy in more. And not to mention, they recruited well. And now you're, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? You are building character. You are building players up. That's nothing. They didn't develop players. Like, they hadn't developed players in the six years previous to this year. This year, you see development from the summer to through the season. Like, these players are very different than they were in summer. They're very different than they were at the start of the season. They developed all year. So you add that into the pot. That's just a hell of a combination. So, Braylon, you you and Ryan Armani, you're, you, like you said, y'all, you're doing it down the middle. But, but, man, both of y'all are Michigan guys. At the end of the day, that doesn't mean that you cut Michigan any slack. But I just wonder, do you guys feel like – you know, at, at the end of the day, you need a little amazing blue representation because Detroit seems awful green and white these days with with the, you know, the commentary that you hear out there. It feels like we need a little amazing blue, amazing blue on the airwaves to balance that out. Well, yeah, I am down the middle. In fact, I've gotten in trouble publicly for being down the middle and going after Michigan and Jim Harbaugh in the past. In fact, I lost my job for it. But with that being said, 
I think Michigan is going to start getting more representation now. Michigan State, I mean, Michigan has been bad, and they've been getting whooped by Michigan State for 10 years or so. Now that you have a new Michigan, you have Jim Harbaugh, a new coaching staff, like it looks different. You know, they legitimately came from nothing last year to winning the Big Ten, to beating Ohio State, to getting cheated. Let me stop there. To now being in the playoffs, to, to, you know, most people think they can beat Georgia. You know what I'm saying? So it's interesting it all happened in one year, but representation will come as teams are good. Like Michigan State didn't have any representation before Mark D'Antonio took over and started beating uh, all the Michigan coaches. You can just do it easy that way. They hadn't, didn't have representation. Then they had representation. So Michigan to come back into the fold. It's a, it's a national brand. It is the brand. So we're, we're, we're here. We're back and we're here to stay. Yeah, so you said most people think that they can – that they'll beat Georgia. I don't know, Braylon. Hey, man, you look at the odds. You look at the odds makers. I I know it's eight and a half underdog, but what I mean by most people, I'm talking about most Michigan fans. Most Michigan fans aren't aren't walking into it like happy to be there, like you should, like you could. Like people like, yo, we can beat them, and here's why. And I can lay out a bunch of reasons why too. But it's a different day and age, is what I mean. I obviously didn't mean most people because I actually do watch the odds too. Eight and a half. Georgia favorite. Yeah, man. All everyone in the South, all the national talking heads. I mean, they make it sound like this is gonna be light work. You said you have some reasons why you think Michigan should will will beat them or should beat them. Give me just a few. I don't need you to give me all of them, but give me a few of them at least. Yeah, Georgia's offense is pedestrian. That's been the fourth is the average quarterback. Zamir, the running back, is average. He's just okay. Like the, Yes, I understand they got a couple of running backs that are over 300, but they're not world beaters. They don't have any all-SEC players on that offense. They don't have any offensive tackles that jump out at you, that stand out at you. Like They don't have that on offense like they have had in the past. When you think of Georgia, you think of Chubb, you think of DeAndre Swift, you think of Sonny Michelle, and the list goes tired, girly. And the list goes on with running backs. They don't have that. You think about Ridley. They don't have a Calvin Ridley. They don't have a Calvin Ridley with the Georgia, but his brother. They don't have that high-powered offense like they've kind of had in the past with that running game that can do it to you. Defensive-wise, Michigan could cause some problems for Stetson Bennett trying to pass the ball. And they'll stuff you up the middle with John Ross uh, and Mike Linebacker. On defense, obviously, they have a very good defensive line led by Jordan Davis. He's a monster. He's a man-child. But they're not used to being on the field for long. Michigan has a versatile backfield situation. You got one quarterback that's not going to throw interceptions. You see he only has three this year. He doesn't fumble the ball. He doesn't turn the ball over. He's a leader. You can switch that up with J.J. McCarthy. If the guys are getting back there, you can put him out more in RPO stuff and move him out. Three different running backs that can start damn near anywhere in the country. And Corm, Haskins, and uh, Edwards, and all of them are very different tight ends they block well so now you add edge you add them into the mix go jumbo package you help on the edge pressures you help them stay out of the backfield so they match up a lot better than people think and then special teams jake moody is is one of the unsung heroes of this team this year that's why he's up for the uh, golden award tonight you know and hopefully he gets it guy makes field goals and big moments guy doesn't miss extra points guy doesn't flinch and in all phases michigan is better it's probably the number one team in the country, last but not least, people take they take for granted Michigan's big playability. Michigan leads the nation with 70-yard-plus plays. Michigan leads the nation with 60-yard plays. Michigan leads the nation with 50-yard plays. They know how to make the big play in the big moment. So 
there's a lot, it's a lot better and they're a lot stronger than people think. So all that SEC talk and all that, I get it, I get it. But see what happened the first time Georgia played somebody that wasn't scared of. Them. <laughs> they lost by three touchdowns. Uh, Braylon, you're making me more confident. I, I feel feel good about that. Look, I I um I've always enjoyed watching the wide receiver position, and Michigan's wide receiver room is deep and gifted. Um, I I, I think they've got a lot of talent. I bet you like to see Andrell Anthony wearing your number one. Um, long My term, who's the, who's the best wide receiver on this team in the long run? Well, Ronnie Bell's the best wide receiver on the team. He's coming back for uh, his fifth year. He's already been granted the medical red shirt, so he'll be back next year. He's been working with those guys. That's why you've seen them get better. But Cornelius Brown is amazing at wide receiver. Andrew, you saw what he was able to do the Michigan State game. The problem why you haven't seen Andrew Anthony more is because they just have so much. Like you got to get the ball to Sean Haskins. You got to get the ball to Don, uh, Blake Corm. Got to get the ball to Donovan Edwards. You got to get the ball to Schoolmaker and all because those tight ends have been Michigan's um, identity for years. I mean, you can go back to Tooman, Benny Jopru, Jake Butt, and the list goes on. Devin Funches before he switched. So uh, uh, Butler, Carson Butler. So they didn't have that tight end game. Now they have Schoolmaker and they have all. So it's just so many pieces that Andrew hasn't had a chance to really break out, break out. But, shoot, the person with the best hands on the team is probably a running back. Donovan Edwards <laughs> probably has the best hands on the team and might be the best quarterback from what I saw in Big Ten That's a joke, by the way, for people who are crazy. That, that's funny. I, um, I, I know a lot of our, our podcast fans, they have to hear me talk about football from time to time, and so I'm sure they want to hear you talk about basketball. I know you've been paying attention to the Michigan basketball team. What, what are your early thoughts on on how they're doing. Yeah, Michigan's a team that's lived and died by the three for a while now. You know, and you know, they what you see what happens when it when they shoot it right. You know, you look at the Nebraska game, I think they were something like 17 and 33 or something right there, right, right above 50% or right under 50%. It looks great when you do it, but when it's not working, they try to shoot yourself out of that hole and you just miss after miss after miss. Also, they're not giving themselves second second chance opportunities on offense like they're not rebounding well they don't rebound well on defense but on offense you really need to rebound well hunter dickerson is taking a lot of it on himself he's a great player but he's only one guy you got to get that consistency in there like a john this is a john brandon johns jr i believe i need him to step up a little bit more like i did an autograph signing with him at the end then which is crazy that these athletes can get paid i'm so happy <laughs> to see that like i remember i have four parents so I didn't struggle when I was in college, but I saw a lot of kids struggle in terms of, you know, food for like, like food, money for groceries, money for rent, money for gas. It's like they struggle. So it's really good to see that. But Brandon Johnson, I talked to him and he talked about coming into the season, revamped and refocused after that UCLA loss. I need to see more of that. Like I need to see what you meant when you said revamped and refocused and remembering that loss every day. So it's early basketball season starts like that. Don't pay attention to them being four and then dropping down. It's still early in the year. They will bounce back. Juwan will get these guys on track. It's just a little ugly right now, but rebounding and the consistency behind the arc will help them out. So, Braylon, you mentioned Juwan Howard. So you got Juwan coaching basketball. You got uh, Ward, who was in the admin when you were here, now the AD. Two guys you played with on the Michigan football staff and Ron Bellamy and Mike Hart. And I'm curious how that how that hits you as a former player. Does that is that something that that excites you? Does it make you does it make you feel more connected 
to everything. How did it strike you as a as a guy who wore the uniform to see so many other guys who wore the uniforms in positions of authority at Michigan? First thing is none of that matters if those guys are incompetent or those guys can't do their job. Like none of that matters. Like it's like, yeah, it's cool. It's Michigan, but you're losing or you're bringing in the wrong coaches or, you know, all of this. It doesn't matter if you're losing or you're incompetent. With that being said, everybody's competent beyond measure. Jim Harbaugh, you know, it was a matter of time before he finally figured it out. I mean, he had three, 10 win seasons. He just couldn't win the big one, but changing the coaching stats has helped. So that's great to have him back. Juwan Howard, you see what he did as hell. If Isaiah, Levers, if Isaiah Livers doesn't get hurt, Michigan wins the national championship. Don't add me. Um, Ward Manuel has done a great job. So many people were calling for Harbaugh's head. I was one of them. But he stayed in there. He stayed focused. He stayed giving them opportunity. He kind of stuck with him. Kind of followed that Clemson, Dabo Sweeney uh, process. That, hey, you know what? Took this guy this long. Let's stay in there. Let's see if we can get it together. So everybody is, is doing well. Everybody's having success at the highest level. And Michigan is a brand. Like Michigan players, or Michigan sports has been great for years. So great sports, great teams, great institutions. They great, they breed great people, which means you want to bring some of them great individuals back. You look at the path Mike Hart has been on to get back here. You look at what Ron Bellamy did at, at uh, West Bloomfield High School. You look at his 11 years there, success after success after success. So it's great to have these guys come back and represent the institution that ultimately they represent anyway. Yeah, and then uh, you talked a little bit ago about guys getting paid, this NIL. And you, you see different guys at different institutions getting some some deals. Some, they're starting to trickle through. But, you know, something in mass where everyone is getting paid, still waiting for that big thing across the board. And all sports, man, when you see these deals, Mel Tucker, $95 million, you know, Get Brian Kelly, $95 million. They say Lincoln Riley get, is getting $110 million. I'm curious where you think this is, is going to go. Do you think eventually players are going to get a piece of that TV money that is being used to pay all these coaches? Uh, no. They'll never go that far. NCAA is already mad that they no longer have control. They damn sure ain't going to give them that. I mean, obviously we'll see if the players can get – get a good attorney, and maybe it could be a product. I don't see that happening. I don't see NCAA relinquishing uh, that type of control, that type of opening it up to that, because it's going to get to the point where you don't have to go to the NFL, and it leads to more distractions. Right now, only certain players are getting NIL. Certain players are getting paid, so still keeping them kind of focused and not distracting, not distracted, but you open it up like that and start paying guys. I mean, guys in the NFL make dumb decisions. <laughs> Trust me, I was one of them. <laughs> you're talking about being in the NFL. College guys, 18, 19, 20, like, of course, they're going to make bad decisions. So, with that being said, but you talked about Tucker. That's interesting. I think people are going to look back at Michigan State's offer to Tucker, which he accepted, and realize that State got him for a discount. Like, everybody was up in arms when he got paid, like, which is a whole other topic. We can talk about that off uh, off the podcast. But everybody was up in arms when he got paid. Oh, I can't believe it. he's getting paid. and You know, he, he didn't win anything, blah, blah, blah. This man beat Michigan. They were going to finish 10-2 anyway, at least 10-2. Now they finished 11-2. You see where that money is going now in just two to three weeks after he got his deal? Jim Harbaugh is going to be up next, and he bet on himself. Jim Harbaugh is going to be making $12 million a year next year. Because now you don't have to worry about the school paying the money. Now it's like, well, Michigan's paying 4.3. 
Stephen Ross or Fred Wilpon or the guy from Google that nobody knows the CEO from Michigan, those two guys can be like, hey, you know what? Don't worry, Michigan. We'll pay that extra eight million. We'll pay that extra nine million. Not a problem. So you're gonna see these things skyrocket in a minute. Look at Crystal Ball. They had to pay $27 million for Crystal Ball just for year one. Eight million to buy him out, eight million to pay uh buy the other coach out, and then eight million, oh, by the way, his nine million for his salary. So you'll see this thing go north of north of fifteen within three years. Braylon, you're good. You're good. Really, really, um, really glad you joined us. And remember, if you need a, a, a fascinating duo for your show with Ryan Armati, Sam Webb and Tim McCormick are available. Always remember that. All right. Hey, man, you guys let me know when, man. I'll let you know when. I would love to have you guys on. I'm glad you guys have me on. All right. And before we let you go, we, we've got to have an orange ball pick. What, what's your prediction? Funny thing about it, I remember interviewing with Sam Webb at a Denny's on Washington. <laughs> no, I like, no, I like, I forgot about that. I got Hey, man, hey, that was yeah, that was my first that. one. That was my first interview. That was back in what 2002. Man, that that's 20 like, years ago. You realize that's 20 I think years it was ago. 03. I think it was my. I think it was my first year wearing one. I think it was 03. Yeah. So yeah, it was the yeah, it was the summer. It was the summer between. You're right. It was after the 02 season. After you went from 80 yep. to number one. That's right. That's right. I right. still have, I still have that magazine, man. That's, uh, that is that is that is great, man. Um, that's good. Georgia Georgia thirty four, Michigan thirty eight. But the thing about it is, although the score is close, I think Michigan will have control the majority of the game. I'm not saying Georgia won't have opportunities. Georgia will have opportunities to win the game. Like I'm not disrespecting who that defense is. You can't do that in the SEC for no reason. Like SEC got eleven teams and uh, <laughs> they got eleven teams in bowl in bowl situations and bowl games, but at the same time, I just know who Michigan is. I know how Michigan how Michigan gets from halfway through the first through fourth quarter. So I'm taking 38-34, taking Michigan close game, but I think Michigan has to control the majority of the game. Wait, 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 wait! I forgot one thing to ask you. I can't do let you go without talking about uh, Michael Pollard. Tell tell the fans what they should expect from <laughs> Michael Pollard. So Michael Pollard is my nephew, and I'm so happy that he was able to kind of like write his own, write his own situation, his own journey, and didn't need my name or anything like that. And fans didn't, fans didn't connect the dots till it was too late. You know what I'm saying? He was able to do all this on his own. That way, it's not like, oh, well, it's Braylon's nephew or blah blah blah, because obviously that didn't work with Berkeley at Bailey. So this is him. He's a standing outside linebacker, has the potential to play safety or outside linebacker. Fast, great skill. He's a humble kid. Yeah, he comes from great stock. His father is Marcus Pollard, who's a longtime tight end for Peyton Manning. Uh, with the Colts, played for the Lions, played for the Seahawks. Uh, my, my my sister uh, is his mother. He's a great kid, man. Like he, Michigan is great. A gem in Michael Pollard, man. That's the type of kids in Michigan. You know, you talk about the the Michigan man. The Michigan man is fully created once he finishes through Michigan. But there are guys which you can point to and say, hey, that's going to be a Michigan man. Or this is going to be a Michigan man. And Michael Pollard damn sure is going to be a Michigan man. That's great stuff. Tim McCormick, that's great stuff. Thanks a lot, Braylon. We'll talk soon and, and have a great Christmas. All right, man. Pleasure all my pleasure. You guys have a happy holidays. Right, Go th Blue. Thanks a lot, Braylon. Well, Tim, man, always great to get a former Michigan grade on. You're so good at, at lining those guys up and very timely for it to be Braylon Edwards as Michigan is on its way to the college football playoff. Yeah, did I hear him say something about 
being too old at 55 years old or older. <laughs> did I, did I hear that? Right? <laughs> I, I was thinking he's got so much wisdom, very smart guy. And I did quite agree with that one, but um, did, did you know that, that he, um, he played some high school basketball at Bishop Gallagher and said before he was done, he was averaging 17 points per game. So it doesn't surprise me. I, I just, I mean, I remember him going up into the end zone against Michigan State, snatching ball after ball away from the spark. I bet he'd be a good alley dunker. I mean, great athlete. I mean, Braylon was a was an outstanding track athlete too. So track, basketball. We saw what he did on the football field. I mean, it's it's crazy to think that he was an under the radar recruit. He was an under the radar recruit. He was a camp discovery for Michigan. He was on his way to Michigan State. And uh, Soup Campbell uh, called, <laughs> called up Stan Edwards. They don't let him commit. We're going to come after him. And the rest, as they say, is history, Tim. But I, I do want to, before we get out of here on this episode of the podcast, is Big Ten play now gets underway in a limited way in, in December now. A couple of Big Ten games are going to be, uh, you know, on the docket here by the end of the week. I'm curious your early handicap of the Big Ten. You said you thought Michigan would be a Big Ten champ. Now you've come off of that. How do you sort of see the Big Ten pecking order now? Well, Purdue is is number one in the country and so deserving. They beat Villanova and Florida State and North Carolina. Uh, they got off to a good start in the Big Ten. They're, they're really balanced. They've got four guys in double figures and plenty of star power with Jaden Ivey and Zach Eady. Um, Travion Williams will be the, the, the sixth man of the year. In terms of Michigan, I, I was thinking about the fact that last year we were laughing preseason number seven and they finished number one. And then I thought, okay, this year they're preseason number one. C- could they be number seven? I, I don't think so. I don't think so. But when you look at the Big Ten, it, it could be possible. Uh, when when I, I look at the best teams, Purdue's fantastic. Illinois is off to a really good start in the Big Ten. I think Alfonso Plummer has really helped them with their shooting. And Kofi Coburn, 23 points and 12 rebounds. They've got plenty of depth. Wisconsin is better than I thought. Ohio State and Michigan State are dangerous with plenty of talent. I see Michigan in that group, that upper group of six teams that will compete near the top. I don't think anybody is going to be as good as Purdue. Um, but an injury could hurt things. It, it could change for any team, really. Um, M- Michigan's in the upper echelon of the Big Ten, and and I and I would imagine that that they've got a great chance to finish in the top three. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out as this team develops and tries to find that that chemistry and cohesion that is necessary for a team to to really challenge. Uh, some of those these upper-tier teams in the Big Ten. But, Tim, it's always real, always fun, and looking forward to getting back at it next week on the next episode. But for now, again, if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it. Be sure to review it. Be sure to tell all your friends about it. They can find it on whatever podcast platform they like, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it. Just search Michigan Insider Podcast, and there you'll see the Michigan Basketball Insider. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Michigan Basketball Insider. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the 
queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+.